Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. One thing about when you're managing multi-location uh, operations, whether you're in restaurants or they're medical, banking, legal, you know, chiropractic, gyms, it doesn't matter, um, is that very often when you're delivering services at the location level, um, that there isn't just one lever you can pull to increase sales, right? Uh, to make customers happier, to uh, increase profitability. Oftentimes, it's not one lever, it's 30,000 little levers that all have to be pulled. Not, none of them are going to sink you, but if enough of those levers aren't pulled correctly, your customers will have a bad experience with your business, your customer satisfaction will be down, and your sales and profits will follow. And that's what we do at Ops Analytica. We help you manage pulling all 30,000 little levers right in the right order. And, uh, and then at the same time, we're providing you with data, amazing visibility into uh, what levers aren't getting pulled, where you have issues, so you can figure out what the heck's going on and fix them. And then you move on. And then every time you correct an issue, you make your employees happier, you make it your, their jobs easier, you make your customers happier, and your sales and profits will follow. Check us out at OpsAnalytica.com. Hey, welcome up, uh, Order Up podcast listeners. We are having another great interview today. Please welcome Danan Moore. Uh, how are you doing, Danan? I'm good. Thanks, Tommy, for asking. Oh, well, you are welcome, and thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us here on this hard-hitting Order Up podcast uh, show. So, uh, as we were just <laughs> thank you, thanks. Uh, I've been discombobulated because I'm looking at the delicious cookies on your website, and I'm just like thinking I need to eat some cookies. Um, so. Danan, this is the deal. We ask the same five questions of everybody. And I'm always most excited to get to the first question because it's, uh, I love to hear how people started and got to where they're at. So question number one, explain what you do today and then take us through your career progression from your first job in the industry. Absolutely. So today I'm owner and operator of a new cookie concept here in Denver, Colorado called the Urban Cookie. Um, we opened on January 15th, 2021. So we're just approaching two and a half months old here and, um, things are awesome. That's not my first time owning and operating a bakery, but I have to say this is probably the, um, simplest bakery design that I, uh, have operated. So going back in time, um, in high school, I started working at restaurants, of course. So I was a hostess at a little Italian mom and pop shop for a long time. And then I progressed to um, a corporate chain, one of my favorite jobs. I worked for Boston Chicken. We all know it as Boston Market today. Did that for several years um, through high school into college. Um, and then kind of made a quick change mostly probably for curiosity's sake to Boston Market's sister company, Einstein Bagels. Um, at Einstein's, I met my now husband. So I worked at Einstein's with Sean for hmm, maybe eh, like seven to nine months and then realized, you know, I really like Sean. I'm going to be better off not working with Sean. So 
Um, we'll come back to that in a little in a little bit. But uh, worked for Einstein's. Really enjoyed the environment. I actually really loved the baking environment there. And while I was in college, I was studying to be a teacher. Ended up getting a degree in psychology. Transitioned from restaurant jobs to um, counseling. And I was a group living counselor for a treatment facility for girls and did that for several years and then transitioned into um, mental health for adult clients. And I became a vocational counselor. So as a vocational counselor, I was assigned to help adults um, overcoming their mental health battles to regain employment. Um, I'll keep this short, this story very short, but I became very passionate about the idea of helping individuals get back to work that sadly, sometimes our society doesn't see as a value in the workplace. And so I thought, you know what, I have a little bit of leverage here, I could kind of just go and design my own business. And I'll hire, I'll hire people with any kind of disability. So in 2007, I left my mental health job and opened up my first bakery called Cake Crumbs Bakery. Um, it is still here in Denver, Colorado under new ownership, but um, chugging along, doing well, surviving the pandemic. So anyhow, opened up Cake Crumbs Bakery with the intention of designing something that I knew would be well received by our community. And also I knew that I would be able to design some um, jobs and be creative with how to hire and, and bring people in that might have certain disabilities. So I did that in 2007, always had a place for people in our kitchen, in our front of house with disabilities. And then kind of to talk about more of the operations and growth side of the business um, from 2007 to 2008, we grew like gangbusters. I had no business experience, just the restaurant experience. Um, and so what I found is I was just kind of flailing to grow into a new space and um, keep up with demand and that kind of stuff, all these good problems that businesses hopefully have. Um, so we grew then in 2010, I um, wanted to bring my husband, Sean, in uh, to the mix. So I had talked about not wanting to work with him at Einstein's. And then I went ahead and like threw that out the window and decided I wanted to work with him at Cake Crumb. <laughs> um, so I designed the Denver Cupcake Truck. And this is a funny story, but the Denver Cupcake Truck was something that I thought, okay, no pun intended, I needed a vehicle to bring fast marketing and branding to Cake Crumbs Bakery so I could afford Sean on our payroll. Uh, you know, people in DC, people in New York City, people out in California, they were running cupcake trucks. So we weren't necessarily the first cupcake truck in the country. But what happened, which was really awesome, is we happened to be the very first cupcake truck in Denver. And in Denver, we designed our business, our cupcake truck business to also be social media driven, which at the time in 2010 was just kind of an up and coming concept. So we were fortunate to kind of be the first to literally hit the street here in Denver with social media driving our um, brand. And we went gangbusters. So from 2010 to 2015, this truck was the thing. It was so popular and awesome. So the good news is we were able to afford Sean. 
And the other good news is cake crumbs just continue to grow and grow and grow that I had eventually been able to purchase a building offsite for uh, mass production, weddings, truck events, um, really kind of a commissary place for our other location. And then later we opened another cafe called the Crumb Cafe, kind of a spinoff on cake crumbs. Um, so my production facility also acted as a commissary for um, the Crumb Cafe. And and then in 2017, um, I know this sounds cliche, but uh, Sean got sick and I was, my plate was full. I was exhausted raising children, running the businesses and the different branches of the business and um, trying to take care of my husband who, you know, to no fault of his own became sick and really needed a lot of our help. So I decided with the economy doing well, I sold, I sold everything. Um, we were really fortunate. Denver was bustling and booming. And so I was able to sell each of my different um, businesses, the commissary building, that kind of stuff, um, just to kind of take a minute retreat and, and take care of my mental health and really find, find a place for the family to kind of be able to get back to a normal footing. So Kind of moving forward, 2017, we sold, I took a break, then I took a desk job um, with a small, hmm. yeah, desk. That oh, she said terrible. it in such disdain, that's like a, a cop. It's a bad word, <laughs> bad word. Um, with, a, with a small company here in Denver called Colorado Thought Leaders Forum, and uh, really fell in love with their passion or mission of helping small business owners or business executives kind of be mindful leaders. So I loved the company's mission, hated my job, hated sitting behind a desk and punching the keyboard and plugging numbers all day long. So I um, gave them a year and a half of my best and just really did a lot of soul searching and thinking, you know, where I thrive and where my genius is, is in a bakery. I just desperately missed the environment. I missed the camaraderie of, among the bakers and the front of house. And for me, I, I missed the hustle. And so I think with coronavirus last year, it just made me kind of come to this place where Life is too stinking short. You know, on the on the good side, Sean's better. He's mended and happy and healthy and doing really well. So our family's in this place of thriving. But I thought, what the heck? I'm just gonna go do it. I know it's a pandemic right now, but I miss I miss the bakery atmosphere so much. And I miss that community. And um, I thought, what the heck? We're gonna go find this place, we're gonna lease it, we're gonna start a new business. And so that's where we're at today. Wow. So <laughs> I'm going to ask you this first question. I know it's a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Are you, a, where did you get your bakery training or are you just self-taught? So I am self-taught. I have a little bit of a personal passion for homemade pastries. I lived with my grandmother growing up. She was a second generation German. Um, she came from Iowa and in Iowa, her family of course had a farm and they did everything. They were completely self-sufficient. Uh, they lived kind of out in the middle of nowhere. So, you know, you think about 50, 60, 70 years ago, um, grandma was taught to bake and 
and do all those fun things um, in the kitchen on the farm. And so living with her, she, I don't think she realized this influence she had on me, but I couldn't shop at the grocery store for pastries. I had to make them homemade from scratch with real butter and, you know, sometimes real lard. So um, that's really where I got the passion. Um, And then I just, I'm a patient person. And so I think, you know, patience obviously drives baking. And so it just, it was a really good fit for me. And I'm also artistic. And so uh, kind of the combination of patience, practice and um, detail for, you know, art and design and that kind of stuff really kind of put it all together for me. Well, you know, it's interesting because like chefs, it's all about like taste and they don't really measure, you know, like they're just throwing stuff in there and eyeballing it. But baking is such a scientific, like analytical, it's like this really neat mix of being analytical and very disciplined, but also creative. Right. So it's kind of, it kind of, it it fires on two fronts, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think a good day at work is when we're trying new recipes and we have to think about it, right. We're actually using, not that chefs, chefs don't think I really do not have the same kind of palate that a chef has. And so I really appreciate what they can do in the kitchen, but I love to just be able to have to kind of scratch my head and think, about the way we use the ingredients, how we manipulate the ingredients, what worked with this recipe versus that recipe. And so, you know, it's a chemistry lab every day, which is a ton of fun. Yeah. So I don't know if you know this, but I am in Highlands Ranch. I know exactly where your oh, store good. is. So okay. like, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we were in Denver, but then, you know, second kid and we were like, do we want to pop the top on our house? And we just said, nah, we're going to the burbs. So yeah, we came like down that. here, uh, like 20 and the 2012 but okay. uh yeah so no totally know your businesses and know your location i was looking at the map i'm like oh my gosh so uh <laughs> that's uh, that's super exciting um so uh what else did i want to ask you about oh uh, so let me ask you this are you adjusting for the altitude here just because i never do when yeah. i bake but i'm curious if you are No, I love that question. And this is one that I answer all the time. I don't adjust for altitude. And for anybody listening to us that isn't in Denver, when I think about altitude adjusting, if you're kind of in the evergreen area and up and higher, I think there's a need to start adjusting for altitude. But if I ever start with a recipe, um, I start with the recipe as is. With cookie baking, it's really easy. Throw a cookie in the in the oven, keep your dough set aside, and you can kind of fix it before you've ruined the whole recipe. Now, if you're baking sure. cakes, maybe not. You're probably going to have to sacrifice the whole cake to decide if that recipe worked or not. But if you get to the point where you're manipulating a recipe because you know it didn't work the first time around, I always tell people in Colorado, just start by adding a little bit of flour. A lot of times that'll help. Don't mess with your leavening. Don't, don't do anything with your baking soda, baking powder. I feel like that's kind of almost a last resort because if you're not into the science of it, don't get yourself too down the rabbit hole. So adjust the flour. So if we're talking about cookies, take a test cookie, throw it in the oven, bake it according to the instructions. If it turns out too flat, chances are you probably have to add a little flour. 
don't overdo it, kind of go gradual, but you've got the time to let that cookie dough sit. That's cookie dough is not really going to um, react with the leavening while it's sitting at room temp. It's going to be fine. So test one. If you have to add a little more flour, test another one. Eventually here, you're going to get to kind of the perfect cookie. And we all have our favorite cookie consistency. Some of us like them flatter and a little runny. Some of us like them kind of fluffy and a little more floury. So I just feel like you'll find your favorite place and, and then stay in that lane. Yeah. And just for those of you who don't know, because I, I would assume you do know, but like in Colorado, like Denver is the mile high city. So it's 5,280 feet above sea level, one mile above sea level. And when, and when uh, Denon was mentioning evergreen, evergreen's probably like 2000 feet more than that maybe. And so, and sort of the start of the mountains, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so like where we are, we're South of Denver, but we're like 5,600 feet. But uh, anyway, in Colorado, you always want to know what your elevation is. It's just something that we all talk about for some reason. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We're proud. We are proud to, you know, say how how far above sea level we are for sure. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, oh, and also if you come out here and you go drinking, you're going to get drunk way faster because of the higher sea levels. So drink more water. Um, (laughs) That's also another important point when visiting us here in Colorado. So let's go to question number two. Yeah. Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) What is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? Great question. So I'm going to let the cat out of the bag here. Um, With the Urban Cookie, I designed this to intentionally prepare it to franchise. So I would like to avoid getting myself into a position of owning and operating multiple locations or multiple businesses. Um, And I really love to design a franchise that is friendly for those that may not be in a, a position with capital to actually get into owning a franchise. And so Right now, what I'm working on is, um, of course, buttoning up all of our operations, procedures, protocols, and systems. Um, And then past that, when I start to work on the FDD for the franchising agreement, I will also start to look at talking to angel investors, um, grant foundations, whoever I need to talk to, to kind of come up with a model where we can create an opportunity for those that may not have the advantages of, you know, capital and money sitting around. Sure. And so I'd like to create this, um, this concept of just, you know, designing a franchise that's attainable for, for many. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I worked, so you were at Einstein's, Einstein's was franchised, obviously. And then, yeah. um, did you ever know Brian Ferris when you worked at, um, chicken boston chicken you know his name sounds so familiar but i there were so many people and when i was at boston chicken i got to work with corporate and i also got to work with one of the franchise franchising divisions so i knew a lot of people in both areas and so yeah it's hard to say but um it was a fun experience so he, he, I'm trying to get him on the podcast. He was my boss at Quiznos, but he had come from Boston Chicken. I think you guys are there in the same time frame, So that's mm-hmm. why I was curious. But, um, but uh, yeah, we, after the show, we'll talk because I got some people I could introduce you to. Um, they, uh, with the franchising, it's so like, you know, you want to get, 
it's so tough because you want to get well-capitalized people in there because they have the best shot of actually making it, right? Like if you weren't well-capitalized pre-pandemic, as an example, that could that could have killed you. Or, you know, we always talk about this, and it was so funny, some guy I mentioned the other day too, road construction. Road construction is probably <laughs> the number one killer of, of poorly capitalized franchisees because yeah. people stop making left turns and now all of a sudden you're toast. You know yeah. what I mean? But mm-hmm. now with delivery and I can see you have delivery on your thing. You can, you, that definitely is a road construction saver because the Uber guy will wait and make the left turn, even though it stinks uh, to go yeah. because he's got to, but you know, the customer would go, nah, I'm not going to worry about it. I just go to the other, the other exactly. shop, good ice cream or whatever else it is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I love the idea of the model of, um, work to own the franchise. So then you're really hiring a GM and then they make a very small investment. You get them started, but then you hold them very accountable to hitting sales and operations goals. And as they do, some of the profits that they generate instead of maybe going into like a managerial bonus actually stay with the franchisor or the owner as a way to like, you know, let them ramp up and then eventually earn their way into owning the business. I've always yeah. thought that was an interesting model. Yeah, that's a phenomenal model. But also the nice, yeah. And because if they're not doing a good job, you can always take it back, right? And you can go, hey, you, you just weren't cutting, you weren't doing, you weren't, uh, you know, protecting the brand and, and being an emissary for the brand. You mm-hmm. were actually just, you know, a bad employee at this point, not an owner. So we can we can sever our agreement, but then you, you know, so... But if they do a good job, then they get the the goal of, you know, earning their way into one and hopefully they buy the second one outright because they are, you know, so profitable as an owner that they go and want to expand or whatever. Right. I surely hope so. Have you, th- <laughs> have, have you thought about uh, maybe starting with Cookie Trucks as your franchising model? Just because the total capital outlay on buying a truck is way less than outfitting a, you know, strip center space. Yes, we have. Um, Together right now, we're kind of talking about this building block type concept for the the brand. So I want to create a model where we are offering a little bit of flexibility to our owners, whether that's a kiosk on the mall or um, in a mall, whether it's a truck Mm. on the street. Or perhaps they find a small unit. We're in a really small unit, and this is where this idea kind sure. of came from. We have a neighbor who does coffee and ice cream. Well, um, yeah. if I were in a different unit, I'd love to be able to have that ability to sell coffee and ice cream. Obviously, they go hand in hand with cookies. Yeah. Well, we may at some point have an owner who says, I've got this phenomenal location. I want to be able to have coffee, cookies, ice cream. And then we have this fantastic, you know, um, event in the park every Saturday. I'd love to have a, a truck or a cart. And so I want to create sure. a, a concept where everyone can kind of build on. And if if they want, they can invest in, you know, those add-ons. Absolutely. So nothing's kind of off the table. We had so, a nice. tremendous experience with the Denver cupcake truck that I'd hate to just curb that and say, now I don't want to do trucks. Um, has the environment for trucks changed since we were so popular? Absolutely. But I still think there's a great demand for them. For sure. And also it's a nicer truck, right? Because like, you know, if I'm making burritos out of a truck, I need a flat top and propane and all this stuff. And you're going to 
you know, you could just in theory make all the cookies at the restaurant and then, you know, mm-hmm. load up the truck. And now you can have a much cheaper, easier, smaller, more gas efficient, easier to park truck. Right. And yeah. still do it. Right. So that's, yeah. a, that's an exciting thing. Absolutely. Uh, that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, I like the, I like the building block idea too. Like you can keep expanding this thing out and add another, you know, add another, get a commissary kitchen. Like you can mm-hmm. sell a commissary in, you know, Colorado Springs as an example, and then go, okay, hub and spoke it, have 20 right. locations, yep. have four trucks, do deliveries to the schools, you know, do whatever you need to do. Like, yep. but we have all these different pieces built in, you know, that's Absolutely. really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to go to the next question, I guess. Uh, what is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? So I'd like to say, you know, not much is keeping me up at night, but this one kind of nagging thing that has changed since I sold the previous bakeries and started the Urban Cookie is just this idea of um, wages are rising. So minimum wage here in Denver is now fourteen seventy seven. Of course, we're going to see these wages change in Colorado overall to be $15 an hour, which I would imagine then we're going to see Denver... Um, even go past that $15 an hour mark. I appreciate that minimum wages are going up, but when we talk about the restaurant industry, a $15 per hour employee starts to add up pretty quickly with low margins on food. And so, um, you know, while I feel like we've really kind of dialed in um, our margins with cookies, cookies are pretty controllable. Uh, I still worry, you know, what, how are we, how are we going to set ourselves apart from other employers to retain the best employees? Um, How do I appeal to finding the best employees? And then what's the balance? How, how can I balance all of these things as we continue to kind of grow into those um, higher minimum wage requirements? And so that, not that it's necessarily keeping me up at night. It's definitely just always kind of in the, in the background that I'm thinking about it. Well, and, I mean, you can argue the politics of minimum wage hikes and back and forth. They are very bad for the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. And most restaurants are paying above minimum wage anyways, because minimum wage doesn't even cut it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to get that guy for, I think our minimum wage is like 12 something here. Like you're not going to get a guy for 12. You got to yeah. pay 13, you know? Yeah. So when they raise it to 15, we're just going to have to pay 16. And also <laughs> the inflation that is driven by a minimum wage hike is, hey, now that McDonald's burger that was seven is now eight. So yep. it just gets sucked right back up. It, that cost gets passed right back to the consumer um, who is now paying more for everything because everyone's making more money and the actual buying the actual buying or the purchasing power that the guy got from getting this raise is completely wiped out. So, (laughs) I mean, I'm like, yeah. It's a vicious cycle. It really is. Yeah. 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 I mean, absolutely. We, we need to be able to afford where we're living. And for those of you listening in that are not from the Denver area, I mean, we're very comparable now to LA, Portland, Seattle, Austin. I mean, our, our cost of living here is pretty, pretty insane. So yeah, I, you know, it's, it's just this constant balance of how do we maintain that, but still be able to afford to run the business. Yeah. And like, 
Well, I'll tell you, like, so I live in Highlands Ranch, which is a big suburb south of Denver, uh, very planned out community, kind of like Orange, like an Orange County-ish, Columbia, Maryland-ish. Uh, that's where I was like a raised, raised originally. Uh, you know, very planned out, big neighborhoods, like kind of all over the place, whatever. And like, I don't know what's happening down here right now. But like people are coming in and offering people like a million dollars more than they pay for their home eight years ago. And they're getting and they're doing it overnight. So that leads me to believe Californians are fleeing California, which they have been for years. And they've been coming to Colorado and other places. But it is insanity down here right now. So, yeah, you you know, and the rents in Denver are skyrocketing. So that's horrible, too, for people who don't are, are making minimum wage, they can't live in Denver, you know, unless they're no. partnered up with a bunch of other kids and they have like, you know, four or five people living in an apartment, whatever. But so we are like Brooklyn or LA, but, uh, but making cookies more expensive isn't going to help that either. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know there's I mean? a, there, yeah, absolutely. There's a price point where, you know, the customer or the consumer is going to say, um, there's no way I'm spending that on a cookie. Right. Um, yeah. Yep, there's a threshold that we have to kind of be aware of. Uh, and that's not just cookies, it's nuggets, it's burgers, it's everything. Like you can't pay $25 for four cookies just because, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like it just gets to a point where people are like, uh, so it's tough. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a nutso, nutso thing. Um, what is the one thing that you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? You know, for me, um, I, I hate to beat a dead horse, but the pandemic has definitely just kind of halted many components of, you know, creative uh, hustling, so to speak. And so um, I would say I, I'm just ready for our municipalities and our, our cities and stuff to kind of come to a determination of when are we all going to have these public events again? When can we start gathering? When can farmers markets be, um, you know, a definite. And, you know, I think I say that because we used to thrive on going to special events, um, going to big parties, doing the markets. And I'd love for that to kind of come back. I think that's a difficult thing, especially when we're talking about food cost and ways to be creative on, um, you know, increasing sales. Uh, we definitely built into our model farmers markets, but there's just kind of this slow go on when can we sign up to go to a farmer's market? Are they taking any new vendors? And so that's the kind of stuff that I would say it's, it's causing us a little bit of um, stress and discomfort. I'm sure it's happening to everybody in the industry. So especially well, my- weddings and events, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not in the wedding industry anymore, but how are they surviving our, our cake shops that provide wedding cakes? So. So, you know, that the governor, so our governor, Jared Polis is, I think the first uh, openly gay governor in the country and he's getting married in September. So my wife's theory is we will be 100% open <laughs> by his wedding. <laughs> right. I think you're probably making a really valid point there. So at least we can all take a breath and, and think to ourselves, September is going to be a good target. So, yeah, because he's not going to want to be like, okay, so then our mayor uh, in Denver, he was like literally tweeting, this is a national story, he was like at Thanksgiving, he was literally tweeting out as he was boarding a United flight, stay home, 
don't gather with family for Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> we got to do our part for COVID, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then he was doing that as he was getting on a United flight to go to Alabama to hang out with his wife and his daughter. So he got caught. So you yeah. know the governor is not going to get caught. He no. will just <laughs> and, and realistically, Colorado, it is the governor polis lift all the restrictions now. We are an outdoor town. And we yeah. have amazing patio spaces. Almost every built, most restaurants are built with some form of open air thinking, you know, they can pull a, gar a you know, a garage door up or like we are a patio town. So we Definitely. need to just patio state, I should say. We need to like go and let people out and yeah. let them businesses get back to it. Because Florida and Texas aren't seeing huge spikes in their numbers. So if we're all running this off the numbers, you've had multiple large state tests that have been going on for months now. And in the warmer climate, we should all be fine. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So wow, we've yeah. gone through all of our questions. <laughs> uh, I know. Maybe I have to talk a little slower. <laughs> no, you're doing great. Um, so let's get a war story. Yeah. We want so one of those cringeworthy, funny war stories. <laughs> I don't know if mine's funny, but if I were to write a book about something regarding business ownership, I have learned the hard way too many times about hiring family or going into oh business with family. And I'll preface this. I've been married to Sean for 20 years and well, 20, almost 22 so this isn't me going into business with my partner. I do feel like when you're married, you have a different partnership than you would have with your extended family or, or distant family. Yeah. Um, so our ability to own and operate is probably very similar to running a household, having children, and always compromising as a couple. So this doesn't have to do with us. Um, but I'll tell you, I have just, if I could write a book on this, um, it, it's been something that I'm like, why don't I, why didn't I learn this the first time or the second time or the third time? So um, my war story, it started with hiring some a couple extended family members by marriage. So not directly related to me. Um, and it just was an absolute backfire. So Cake Crimes opened in 2007. I really never intended on um, a recession coming. And then the re recession hit us in 2008, 2009. And so during that time, I hired a couple of family members that were just, you know, in dire straits, having mm -hmm. a hard time finding work. And uh, lo and behold, you learn a lot about your family members when they work for you. And so those two working relationships were not great. And so that put, you know, some massive strain and distance on that part of the family and us. So lesson, lesson one and two right there, right? Oh, then lesson three, I went into business. <laughs> I know this is, this is the doozy. This is where I say, just be really careful who you're going into business with. Um, I decided to open another cake crumbs in Colorado Springs. And I had a family member directly related to me, um, really just beg and plead to be in business with us. And he was um, uh, an elder of mine and a very successful restaurant owner in the Springs, not mentioning any names, his restaurant is still there. Um, but sadly, 
uh, we didn't go into business with a legal binding partnership or, um, or agreement. And what looking back, I probably could have resolved some of this had we sat down with an attorney and maybe designed something thoughtfully before going into business. Um, sadly, a year into the operation um, and lots of money from Kate Crumbs going into this operation, we were not well received in the in the Colorado Springs market. And my um, family member business partner really kind of within a couple months fizzled out, became, you know, very distant, uh, was not participating in helping with the business like he said he would. And it, we all came to a head. Fortunately, I had a lease that I was able to um, do month to month or year to year. And so I was able to um, get out of our lease after that first year. But, you know, he didn't put any financial investment into it. He was supposed to be sweat equity. Um, it, it sounds ugly right now, the way I'm describing it. And it just ended up even worse. And so uh, that relationship for us um, is over. We we haven't spoken for, I think it's been seven years um, and I'm not sure that we'll ever speak again. And so it got really, really gruesome, really ugly. And I, I wanna share this story. Obviously mental health is really important to me. Um, it put a division between us and other family members. And so that was, that was a tough, tough lesson. However, <laughs> As if I didn't learn enough from that, I decided to hire my sister. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, let's so just Christmas pour... is pretty easy for you guys, right? right? You just stay yeah. home. <laughs> it's just the nuclear family. That's right. <laughs> um, I have to say today, I can say my sister and I um, fortunately have been working through our issues and, and she was very gracious to take responsibility for her part. And I took responsibility for my part, but um yeah, you know, I, again, like, I just have this huge heart and I want to help everybody. And my sister was going through a tough time and moved back home to kind of get back on her feet after a really ugly separation. And so what do I do? I'm like, oh, I have a job for you. And really, like, I don't know, that other voice should have kind of spoke up and said, what in the world are you doing? Um, so fortunately, that has a good a good ending. We we are still friends and we still love each other. But um, there was a lot of strain on our relationship through that really rough patch because it it did not go well. <laughs> she didn't handle well, she didn't handle working for me very well, and and vice versa. I mean, it's kind of like sibling rivalry rivalry all day long at work. Sure. So yeah, so that's my war story, and I I um. I don't say it to have anyone pity me, but I say it kind of like just to put it out there mistakes. to other operators. I mean, <laughs> if you really want to operate a healthy business, um, don't bring don't bring extended family into it. It's just not it's not a good idea. So I'm going to tag on to that because in our last company, we hired. So here's the thing with hiring friends and family: it's so much easier at the beginning because you already know the person and they're right there. And mm -hmm. so you're like, Oh dude, you know, so that's number <laughs> one, like, you know, number one, number two, you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm living my dream. Can I help you maybe live your dream as well? Right. Mm -hmm. And so then you think you're doing this big favor for people. And, but here's what I learned is that you go in with like going, Hey, 
I want to bring you on. I'm going to help you out. I know you're having a rough time. I know you can do this. I'm, I think this could be a good fit. And you think that you're doing this sort of like, like you said, altruistically, or you're trying to be really extra cool and helpful and all this stuff. <laughs> but at the end of the day, what always ends up happening is they just treat it like a job and mm -hmm. they look out for themselves. They don't reciprocate any of that. There's no like, oh man, Danan really went out of her way to help me on this. So I got to do an extra good job. Yeah, You're just the boss. Yeah. And you're a boss that they have like dirt on because they knew when you were a kid and they knew you like whatever. So like <laughs> we had one guy that we hired that we were like, don't take this job because we don't think it's a good fit for you. And he was like, I, I want to do it, man. I want to. And it ended up like costing me and my business partners each like 5,000 each for like a three month period. And he just bolted. He was just doing it till, you know, like he was treating it like, oh, I'm just going to take this job at this big company and, uh, you know, and I'll just coast for three months so I can find the job I really want. But no, that we're not a big company. We were three guys. Like we each shut out 5,000 of our own cash to pay this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he yeah. was like a friend of mine. And you're just like, <laughs> what are I you know. doing? Like you just stole $5,000 from my family, basically. Yeah, I, to I totally yes. know. I yeah. And it leaves uh, a very sour, sour feeling later. I mean, ooh. Yeah. Well, and I guess on the flip side, the moral of the story is, though, you really do get to know who um, your true friends or your loyal family are when you kind of go through these situations. But, yeah, it's not very fun. So for all of those people listening and considering, yeah. just make it a cardinal rule not to hire friends or family. Just put that in the book. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Don't I think totally about it. I agree on that one. Yeah. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, no, I'm totally with her on this because we, we went through it. And, we, and just like you, I did it several times. I couldn't mm -hmm. just do it once, right? I had to do it three or four times before we all, before like year four of that last company, we were like, we're not hiring. We'll hire someone new. We, it's, it's worth to go find someone new because if they suck, you can fire them and there's no... Uh, there's also no, like, I'm not going to see that guy at Thanksgiving. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Like, yeah. I just want, I want to be in control. If you do a great job, I'm going to take such good care of you. The other thing I would suggest too, I would tag onto this as well, is you cannot turn non-entrepreneurs into entrepreneurs. I can't tell you how many times we went to people and we said, look, run with this idea, take it, build it into your own. You can do it. You'll make so much money. We'll all win together. And they just, every time they couldn't, they could not do it. So you That's cannot true. hire friends and family and you cannot turn an, uh, a, a normal employee into an owner slash entrepreneur. They have to be already an entrepreneur and an owner mentality, then they can take it and run with it. But if they're just like a, a normal employee, they cannot, they don't have that skill set. They can't do it and they will fail miserably if you give them that opportunity. Yeah, that's such so. a great point. Yeah, I've been there too. <laughs> that's yeah. a whole nother yeah, like, let me help you. <laughs> let me help you build a business for yourself. Oh, yeah. I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> it's so, so true. Well, uh, well, it was a pleasure to meet you. Uh, Danan, I am going to come and get some cookies because now I know where you're at. I'm going to be up there. I will come and stop by and grab some cookies for the fam. And uh, do you want me to, uh, do you want to plug anything you got going on right now or yeah. just put the website on there? Um, put the website up, but uh, not only do we do cookies for human consumption, uh, 
all of April, we're kind of running a promo for our pets, our dogs, not cats, because cats, you they just like fish, right? And meat. So we don't really yeah. do much with that. But anyhow, all of April, stop in for your dogs, your beloved dogs. Um, and we have homemade uh, all natural dog chips. They're tiny little dog treats for big dogs and small dogs. They're great for training. They're just great for rewards and whatnot. So yeah, April is love your dog month at the Urban Cookie. Nice. Well, thank you. And I'll put that on there as well. Uh, well, guys, thank you for checking out another uh, Order Up podcast. And uh, we will be back with more interviews soon. Take care, Dana. Denon. Thank you. Have a great day, Tommy. You too. Bye. <laughs>